This form of epilepsy is a burden. It truly is. There is no joy or gift in watching your child suffer every day. I'm Sarah Kearns and welcome to the podcast. This is a safe space to discuss the topics affecting everyday families. Let's take an inside look into our own realities and the realities of others. We'll learn together as knowledge creates empathy. Empathy shapes the way that we act and those actions can change our family and those around us. This is The Conscious Project. There is so much that goes unspoken when caring for a child with an illness or disability. So many, yeah, good thanks responses when the truth is just too exhausting to even mutter. Erin bravely shares her and Luella's story over on Instagram, and today she shared with me a little look into their situation and the heartbreaking decision around allowing doctors to go ahead with a huge surgery, a surgery that involves removing half of Luella's brain. Erin is the epitome of strength, courage, vulnerability, and love in motherhood. I tried to keep it together while we recorded this, but I couldn't stop tears. I'm so proud of Erin's strength. If you'd like to follow along their journey or assist Erin and Luella, please find links in the show notes. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to talking to you. I think that most mums and dads that are following your story and your beautiful daughter's story would just, uh, would be so keen to hear from you directly because I feel like social media is amazing for sharing, but it really, you know, you're limited to a caption, you're limited to what you can say in a couple of stories. And it's, you know, to hear the real life, we kind of need to expand on it a little bit. So I'm so grateful that you're happy to speak to me. For sure. Looking forward to it. I feel like you are going to definitely be able to introduce your family better than I can. So do you want to just do a little introduction about you, your hubby and little Lulu, and then we'll jump into it? Absolutely. So my name is Erin. I am 37. I live in the southeastern suburbs of Sydney. I am married to my husband, Dave, who will be the big 4-0 this year. And, and we have, um, Stay away, COVID. <laughs> I know, right. Um, and we have a little girl, Luella, um, who tragically has an incurable form of epilepsy. Um, and we've been sharing our journey through Instagram and, um, yeah, it's been a, a pretty rocky road. Yeah, and you're also baking away with your next little bubba. Yeah, that's right. We've got a little boy on the way. Uh, he is mm-hmm. due uh, early June. So oh, we're beautiful. excited, but, you know, there's a lot of apprehension with everything with Luella as well. So it's um, it's a bit of a roller coaster as far as emotions go. Oh, it's a lot. That's a lot for one family to deal with. And how old's Lulu now? Oh, sorry, Luella is two and a half. So, um Yeah, she turned two in September last year. Epilepsy is a big word, right? 
Well, maybe we should start back a little bit. Do you want to go back to like her pregnancy and and start from there? Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, absolutely. I fell pregnant with Luella uh, not long after our honeymoon um, back in 2019. So we got married at the end of 2018. We went on a honeymoon and then we fell in the January of 2019 and she was born in September of that year. Mm-hmm. You know, my the pregnancy was pretty eventless. I did get mm-hmm. uh, influenza A and was hospital- hospitalised for that and was given Tamiflu. Uh, it was pretty bad. But other than that, mm-hmm. the pregnancy was pretty smooth sailing. Um you know, first time mom, you don't really know what to expect or what's coming your way. And she was born after a pretty long labor. My waters actually broke unbeknownst to me, and that might sound strange, but um, I didn't know what to expect with that. And so it was, it wasn't a huge gush, but it was definitely Mm. a lot of liquid, but um, that happened on the, on the Friday, but she actually wasn't born until the Monday. So four days and um, we went into hospital on the Saturday. I was checked, but told that my waters had not broken. So the hospital sent me home. And I think looking back, that was an error on their part. And that wasn't properly recorded or I don't think my obstetrician was actually advised. And that's, yeah, he seemed very shocked to find out about that um, after Luella was born on the Monday. So, uh, yeah, no other complications. She was an assisted delivery with vacuum, with a Vontus, and that was pretty long. Uh, I pushed for about two and a half hours after an epidural. So it was, um, yeah, it was actually a really long and um, I'll say traumatic, but not in the way you might expect. It just, the pain was excruciating. Labor pain was just out of this world and I could not harness my breathing I couldn't get on top of the contractions and really control them. It just got the better of me. And so I really didn't, yeah, it was really overwhelming. And um, I really did not enjoy birth, birthing Luella. It was, it was really not one of those births that people talk about and they're like, oh, it was so beautiful. That was definitely oh, not I think us. after four days, like your exhaustion, like how much can a body go through? Like our first baby, we were like we had found out that he died and we were oh, induced and it was the same four days. And by the fourth day, you are done. Like Literally. you want to get out that door and run away. Like it's, yeah. So you would have been in so much overwhelm. I, I feel like traumatic is a totally acceptable word to use. Yeah, and it and it has kind of stuck with me, and it's something that you know I'm still working mm. through um, behind the scenes. But um, mm. yeah, it's birth is so unpredictable, and it's not until you're mm. in it that you really have a a sense of um, why they call it labor, I guess. <laughs> And so different. Like this birth may just be like polar opposite experience and you'd be like, oh, that's what those, you know, those women were talking about where it was like because I know mine was so different and like, you know, and good experiences. So I hope that for you. Oh, I'm so glad you had that after everything you guys went through. 
I am actually opting for a planned Caesar this time around to avoid any stress. Yeah, I think it was just way too much for me and yeah. I just don't want to go through any of that again. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I think a, a controlled environment where I know the day, I know the time and it's yeah. just all going to happen smoothly. So we need less stress in our life. <laughs> I would say with the uncertainty your life is at the moment, I think that's yeah. very, very yeah, fair decision. Yeah. Yeah, so she entered the world and everything was pretty normal being a new mom and adjusting to to motherhood. Yeah, it seemed very overwhelming. Um Yeah. I often look back and I wonder if had I been younger having a baby, um if I would have handled it a little bit better. I do wonder whether being so solo for so long and not having really any real responsibilities as far as looking after another human being, um, it did impact my ability to cope. I suffered from um, postnatal depression, which I didn't know what that was really until Mm -hmm. I was really in the thick of it. And my mum said, Erin, you're depressed. Like this is what postnatal depression is. And I kind of went, oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh, no wonder this is feeling so hard. Um, So overwhelming. Yeah, and it really, um, I really didn't take to motherhood initially and I found it really the constant, um, yeah, need to mm. to have that entire pressure put on me in nine months was not long enough and I was not prepared for what was coming. But, yeah, I guess as far as her, her entering the world, everything we were told was fine. You know, we saw paediatricians. I've got letters here that say that she's typically developing um, for her age at our six-week yeah. checkup. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't until uh, she was about eight weeks of age that I started to notice something strange. Okay. What that was looked like a small crunch sit-up, but it was so fast and so small, blink and you'd miss it. So her torso would kind of crunch forward, her knees would tuck up a bit to her chest and it was just the strangest movement. I've never seen anything like it and I knew something was wrong but, you know, I spoke to lots of other women that I knew and Mm -hmm. everyone kind of knew I was already struggling with becoming a mum and I think they were just trying to keep my anxiety at bay. So it was, Mm. no, she's fine, she's fine, everything's fine, don't worry, stop stressing. But I knew, I knew something wasn't right. And I didn't listen to that instinct straight away, which I really regret. Mm. And that's not to say that the outcome would necessarily have been any different, but that whole mother instinct really does kick in and it's meant to and it's there for a reason and... I, yeah, like I said, I wish I had have listened to that. Um, but it wasn't until she woke up from a nap in her bassinet that I looked down at her and I instantly just knew that she'd had a seizure. And it's a really strange thing to say, but a family member had absent seizures, but she was diagnosed quite late in life at about 45. So I do remember, uh, it was my grandmother, and um, I do remember her being a little bit out of it from time to time when she would mind me 
And then oddly, I dated someone overseas when I was living in London and he was again diagnosed with absence seizures. And it's just the strangest thing that I've had those two experiences and now am living and breathing it Mm. with my daughter. So when I saw her, I just thought, oh my gosh, she looks exactly like they did. And I rang my mom and I said to her, what would a baby, an, like an infant seizure look like? And what everyone typically thinks is that they would convulse, they would go quite stiff, mm. you know, their eyes might roll back, you know, the things you, you see in movies basically if you haven't experienced it in real life. And she wasn't doing any of that. She was a little bit rigid but not completely but her face was just so out of it. She just looked like she just wasn't here. She didn't even look like her. It was such a strange moment and um, then it happened again and we raced down to um, emergency, which is about 10 minutes from where we live. Wow, so this is all at eight weeks old. Uh, Sorry, this was actually now at about 11 weeks. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. At eight weeks, um, I noticed the... So you had those few weeks of going, hmm, what's... Yeah, I kind of was watching it and not really knowing what it was but it got more and more frequent yeah, um, okay. and a little bit more severe. And by the time... And trying to trust that mother's instinct is so difficult, like to trust. Because oh. like you said, you're like, I don't know, but I do know, but I yeah. shouldn't know. So I, it's terrifying to trust, put that much trust in yourself. Motherhood really baffles me because it really <laughs> is like, you know, overnight you have a person that you have to solely look after. Of course, you have help from other people, your husband, your partner, whoever, but you are really the main person. You carried that baby, that bond you have with them is like nothing else. And it, it, it really just does amaze me that there's not more support out there. I mean, for, for our circumstances, nothing really could have been done differently but Mm. um yeah when when we noticed it getting worse and we took her to emergency um things just you know literally just started to spiral out of control and things just got so much worse I think um like a lot of people and I know that like obviously we'd lost a baby so the second that I went anywhere near the hospitals they were like oh you've had a stillborn like with that instant like oh here we go you know the overstressed mum it's just a story for another day, but um, they they took you seriously. Like they, you know, you had that when you walked in. I can imagine you were like, "Hey, I think my little baby's having a seizure. She's having. There's something wrong here." Um, they, you know, were able to see it or or you know get on top of it. Yeah. So um, to give them credit, they were pretty fast acting. They admitted us pretty quickly and put us into emergency and we had, you know, a nurse or a doctor come over and they were just chatting to us. And at that point she started to have um, these biggest spasms. So Luella's official diagnosis is infantile spasms and they very quickly called down uh, the on-ward neurologist and um, he saw most of it play out and it was essentially that crunch movement but far, far worse. Mm. And so her arms would fly out to the side, her eyes would kind of deviate, her knees would tuck up to her chest and when there was lulls in the seizure, 
she would kind of do this bicycling with one leg. Uh, it was a really strange uh, visual experience. I'd never seen anything like mm. it. And at that point, the neurologist said, yeah, look, this is classic case of infantile spasms and we'll get you up to the ward almost immediately. And I can't even tell you how long it was between that conversation and getting up to the ward. I don't think it was even longer than an hour. They they got us yeah, up there pretty wow. quick. That's amazing that he was around and was able to witness it and go, this is, you know, what it is. Yes. So how long did that last? Like that seizure last? Like how long would it at that age were they lasting? Yeah, so it's really tricky to say because infantile spasms isn't what you would typically expect to see. So they're very short and sharp, like microsecond kind of jerks and jolts. So it's kind of like the brain being electrocuted over and over and over, but not for prolonged periods. So it's not necessarily a prolonged seizure where someone is convulsing for, you know, two, three, 10, 20 minutes. It's short and sharp and super quick and they often happen in clusters. So it really does vary from infant to infant. Uh, You know, you might have a series of five, but at Luella's worst, I mean, she was having about 250 a day. It was just nonstop. Oh, my goodness. So you get up to the ward and then obviously are able to be linked in with the correct specialists and, and doctors and things like that. And then you've gotten this diagnosis quite quickly. Yeah, that's right. And one of the other neurologists who was a bit more senior than the one that saw us in emergency, you know, they come in and they start to kind of divulge all this information to you. And it really is like listening to someone speaking a different language because they often don't break down their terminology so that you can comprehend and even try and absorb what they're saying. I mean, he kept saying things like, she has epileptic encephalopathy and all of them are going, what is that? And, you know, looking back, it's super frustrating because as much as doctors think that it makes sense, it really doesn't. And it's half the problem Mm. that we experienced. You know, we, we, we haven't had a great hospital experience up until recently. We had to move hospitals. We stuck it out uh, at our local children's hospital um, for a good year and a bit and they just kind of wiped their hands clean of Luella because they just said they couldn't do anything for her. But, you know, coming back to that, that time on the ward, we were just in crisis. We had no idea Mm. what to expect. But also on the flip side of that, there is this notion of, oh, epilepsy, I know epilepsy, you take a medication, it controls your seizures and Mm. you'll be fine. That's what everyone thinks of epilepsy, that it's so easily controlled. Whereas 30% of the epilepsy population have uncontrolled epilepsy. So in Australia, there's 250,000 people living with epilepsy and 30% of those have uncontrolled epilepsy, as in no medications, nothing works. Wow, that's huge. Because like you said, like it, uh, that's my understanding was, you know, 
it's horrendous, but it can be treated. That's yeah, and it's a common misconception. And then the same as you know, growing out of it, it's a real common misconception. As far as I know, there is only one form of epilepsy where that exists. But what actually normally happens is that this whole growing out of epilepsy is more about seizure control, where when you find a medication that works, it controls the seizures, it allows the brain to develop properly, and in a lot of cases, the brain can then evolve and the seizures are kept at bay. But in someone like Luella's case, where we've tried about close to 15 anti-epileptics and none work, there's not a lot of options left. And unfortunately, Luella has what is described as a catastrophic form of epilepsy. So it's not just like, well, you know, she has one seizure a year and takes some meds and she'll be right. Her brain seizes every single day, all day. And we cannot find a solution. And I have searched the globe, literally, in trying to find a way to help her. Can we just acknowledge that is a humongous word to be told as a mother and I'm sure for your husband as well as a parent to hear that word as referred to your child like that's it is that is soul crushing I can't imagine that it absolutely is and I I try to really reinforce that with a lot of people that mm. don't quite understand or aren't familiar with what's going on for us and what infantile spasms yeah. is and it it truly is catastrophic and you know you look up that word in the dictionary and it's it's so huge and people really do underestimate how damaging infantile spasms is and i guess what's kind of worse on on top of that is that there is a more severe form of it, of infantile spasms called west syndrome w e s t and you have to have a trio of symptoms for that which Luella has, and um, that's considered, you know, even worse if that's possible than just typical infantile spasms. So um, it's pretty debilitating. So what's happening to her when she's having one of these spasms or seizures? Like what's, I know you said it's like her brain being shocked. So what does that, what is that doing to her brain when it's happening? Uh, It's causing brain damage essentially. Every time that she has a spasm, it's like lightning striking the brain and and that hurts it and it causes permanent irreparable damage. So um, what it also does is it jumbles up all the the pathways that help someone like you and I, you know, move our hand, walk, talk, everything. So Luella is two and a half. Currently she cannot walk. She cannot stand independently. She cannot pull herself up onto furniture. Uh, She is nonverbal. She cannot independently feed herself. Um, And she has only just started to crawl. So, Mm. you know, that the outcome and the prognosis for her is incredibly, incredibly poor. Mm. Gosh, she's cute when she's now, she's crawling. Yes. I saw her little 
the other day that you shared and oh she just melts your heart she's just such a beautiful little thing yeah she truly is and she's very she's just very sweet she's a very sweet girl nothing like me (laughs) Um, I'm sure that's not right (laughs) but she um, just has a beautiful genetic Erin no, so it's not genetic. So generally with epilepsies, there's three main um, causes, if you like. Um, one is metabolic, which is how the brain uses glucose. And a lot of children that have a metabolic metabolic issue respond to the keto diet, not all. Then there is wow. genetic. So it can be passed on by um, both parents, but it could also just be a random act of whoever Mm. um it's not necessarily always passed on by the parents and then thirdly it could um be a structural issue meaning that the brain didn't form properly which is what they suspect in Luella so they suspect that in utero her brain yeah just didn't form properly but they actually don't know that for sure and they don't know when and they don't know why. Mm, don't it, it really, I think when you have a child that has, um, so obviously our firstborn had a genetic disorder um, yep. and the, the unknowns are so big and you think that like medicine is incredible and the things that they can do are incredible but then when you are the parent or the sufferer of something happening you realize how much is still really unknown and how much is still a mystery and we think but we're not sure and absolutely it's, it's still really huge isn't it 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 really is and unfortunately epilepsy you know it is the most common neurological disorder on the planet more than cerebral palsy more than mm. parkinson's it's the most common yet it is so heavily undernourished as far as research goes and people just don't really understand it. And the brain, for example, is probably the biggest organ that doctors just don't understand the depths of. It's just Mm. so huge, it's so vast that um, it's, it's really, and every brain is different. It's, it's not a one size fits all. So what works for one child won't work for another. Um, so, yeah, we have actually, to answer your question around genetics, we have actually exhausted every option available within the genetic world right now. So that includes the exome genetic testing as well as the full genome and both have come mm-hmm. back clear to say that it is not a genetic epilepsy despite my grandmother having it. Um, it's not a hereditary issue. Obviously, you're pregnant now. Was that obviously it's going to have always been a concern, but yeah. is that something that you could test for and you know to look into as well? Um, they can't actually test this baby. So, what is really frustrating about um, epilepsy is, to my knowledge, doctors have limited ability to test for epilepsy in utero. So unless they can really pick up on a child seizing in utero, which um, a lot of mums that I've spoken to that that has happened to, 
they've reported it as hiccups and doctors have told them that the baby's just got hiccups when Mm. in actual fact the baby's having seizures. Um, And I don't want to scare anyone with that. It's not Mm. my intention. Um, But, yeah, a couple of mums that I've spoken to have had that experience. So they don't actually know how to test for it. Um, They might find a genetic condition, for example, where they can say, look, there is a a strong likelihood that your child will have seizures or something to that Mm -hmm. degree. But in my case, for example, there is no way that I know of and that doctors have shared with me that they could have tested for this because it's not genetic. Like when you go for your scans, when you have your ultrasounds during pregnancy, they do, you know, your um, morphology scans and all of those things where they look Mm -hmm. in depth at the growth and the structure of the baby. And they can Mm -hmm. look at the brain and they can make sure that all the parts are there and, you know, you've got two hemispheres and there's four parts that make up each hemisphere, but they cannot check the function of that brain. Mm. So it might look like it's all there and it should work, but some of these structural issues that they've talked about with Luella are so deep in the brain that they don't show up on any scans. So after countless MRIs, countless PET scans, they can't really find anything. Yeah, it's still got, like you said, it just needs so much more awareness and funding, like, you know, it always comes down to and and research into getting these doctors and, you know, more time and more resources to be able to research further and to learn more. Absolutely. And, you know, as much as we haven't had a great experience with a lot of doctors, I absolutely acknowledge that there are hundreds of neurological children that are struggling or suffering and there's only one of them. Mm. You know, there's a very small mm. field of paediatric neurologists. Um, it's a very, very niche field. So, you know, that they are definitely stretched. Yeah. So that leads to your next step, obviously, and that's that you've just sort of started sharing about the fact that you have given the green light for her to have surgery. Um, and it's – I'll let you explain it because I will definitely – not be able to pronounce it correctly, but it's a big step. It is so huge. Um, I'm probably still not completely on board with it if I'm being really honest. Um, I'm absolutely petrified about it. Um, So the surgery is called a hemispherectomy and what that involves is one of two things. It is either A, you are disconnecting the two hemispheres of the brain. So they separate, I guess, the bad side. In Luella's case, that's her left-hand side. The left-hand side of the brain has things like speech, memory, you know, a whole array of other functions. And it generally the left-hand side is actually considered more important than the right. I mean, both sides are equally important, but you, you'll hear a yeah. lot of neurologists say, you know, if you if you have to lose a half, the right side is better to lose than the left. Or B, it's what's called an anatomical hemispherectomy where they actually cut out and physically remove 
the entire hemisphere on one side. So it isn't just kind of like go in, get something out, stitch her back up and she'll be okay. They are literally talking about severing half of the brain or removing it entirely. And um, it's something that you never think as a parent you would have to. um, It's incomprehensible. It it truly is. It truly is. Um, There are lots of children that have this surgery, um, but the outcomes are so varied and so vast. Doctors predict about a 60% success rate. Um, And by success, they mean um, seizure freedom. However, when you either disconnect or remove half of a brain, the opposite side of the body will have complete paralysis for quite some time. So in Luella's case, if they disconnect or remove her left hemisphere, she um, initially won't have function of the entire right side of her body, um, which would require huge amounts of physical therapy, which we already do, um, but it would require even more, which is not only so taxing and grueling on her, but also as us and me as a mum because yeah. we just that's all we do and it's a really um it's a really exhausting and lonely life to live with your child because we're not at the park we're not having coffee dates and catch-ups and mother's group it's um we have our own beautiful community at our physical therapy center but it's 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 just different and it's it's hard it's not what they sold you on the brochure absolutely not this is nothing like I thought motherhood would be. The grief that comes with that in itself is astronomical. So what she will also have is, you know, a, a paralysis in the right side of her face, you know, so we, we don't know if that will ever recover. Um, a lot of the time it does, but just takes a lot of time for the the right side of the brain to rewire and neuroplasticity mm. is said to be incredible um, and I do see it every day in kids that have had successful outcomes with this surgery. Uh, but I also know a lot of kids that have not had successful outcomes with this surgery and it's so scary because doctors can't tell us. I mean, no one can. They don't know what she will be like post-surgery. And she will also have a permanent disability in her right hand. So she'll be she will have gross motor function in her arm. So she'll be able to move her arm, but she won't have any fine motor function in her hand. So she won't be able to pick up things and it'll it'll remain fisted or kind of tucked in towards her body and that probably won't uh, get any better with age. 
this shows how severe things are right now, you know, for a parent to have to make this decision or even yeah. for a doctor su- to suggest it. it. I think that is the best way for us to see what your life is right now because obviously this is like last case scenario for kids that are at this level, like catastrophic, like you said. It, it truly is um, so severe. You know, she has moments where times are good, you know, at the moment where five days of no, and sorry, I should, I, sh- I was going to say no seizures. And what I should also share is that her epilepsy has evolved from spasms to, from infantile spasms to West syndrome to uh, what they expect is she's on a trajectory to what's called Lennox-Gasto syndrome. Um, some people might know Dravet syndrome, uh, essentially West syndrome, Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gasto syndrome are three of the worst epilepsies you can have. And, um, you know, Luella's probably got both two of those. So um, it really is severe and it's just unimaginable to think that in not too long a time we will be giving the go-ahead to a doctor to, you know, hack into our daughter's brain and they have one chance. It's not like we can go back. It's a one-shot surgery and it will either work or it won't. And that level of unknowns, like you were saying before, it eats you alive. It truly just mm. is all consuming because you can't plan, you can't think ahead, you don't know what life is going to be like. And for the majority mm. it's it's better. Uh but I I can rationalize with all of the reasons to do the surgery. There's a lot. A lot of children have the surgery done a lot younger and we were told to do it earlier on but it was just unthinkable then just as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it has taken us, mainly me, a very, very long time to get my head around this option um, and I'm still not completely on board but after having exhausted every single possible avenue I can think of. We have sought advice from parents, patients, neurologists from all over the world, literally. And we have explored CBD oil. We have explored all sorts of holistic approaches you can think of and nothing's worked. We do not have seizure Mm -hmm. control. And the longer we leave those seizures happening, the more damage it causes. And a lot of the time it's irreparable. So, you know, she won't just have the surgery and all of a sudden be typically developing. We're, we're kind of trading disabilities, so to speak. Um, yeah. You know, her IQ is is set to be low. Um, it is now. And, you know, she she's two and a half. She, like I said, she's nonverbal. She doesn't understand uh certain things it just takes her a really long time to grasp the base the real basics so we've really been left with no option 
um, but to do the surgery. And so when she's seizing now, is that more of like what we see, I hate to say it like this, but what we see on in media and like on movies and stuff? Yes. Like so that would be so traumatic for you and your husband. It really is. Um, so following on from the spasms and heading towards more of this Lennox Gasto is more, it's less spasms and more seizures. So spasms are a form of seizure, but seizure seizures are when, yes, the body, you know, convulses and they're often um, non-responsive. They can be compromised as far as their breathing goes. um, And these are all the things that happen to Luella. Mm. So she will uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere, she will drop down and her eyes roll back into her head her face contorts she often screams through them and it's a matter of waiting for it to be over and it really is traumatic to watch your child go through that and you're helpless you you can't do anything Mm. which is just cruel as a mother to not be able to help her it really is. I mean, I think epilepsy is one of the cruelest conditions on the planet. I, I'm yet to experience or see anything that is worse, especially uncontrolled epilepsy. It's, it's more the uncontrolled piece that is the, the kind of key factor here for us because uh, a lot of people live with epilepsy. A lot of people go on to, you know, go to school and they – they are typically developing because they've been able to find seizure control. Yeah. But, yeah, like I said, we're out of options now. So the hemispherectomy surgery is is set for about a month's time. I really don't want to do it, but I don't know what else to do. Yeah, you're out of options. I can't imagine anyone would be 100% on board. Like it would just – it goes against every part of – your maternal instinct to protect them but then the other side of your maternal instinct is trying to protect her which is you know following what the doctors say absolutely it and it's it's not also lost on me that really cool. there is a lot of children who are not surgical candidates and i know that a lot of parents if they had our opportunity they would jump at it so it's a real fine line of being I don't know if appreciative is the word that we have this option because I know that for some families where their children are not surgical candidates you know that would do anything to be in our shoes um so there's this kind of constant um teetering of uh what's the phrase like trying to being happy there's an option but really wishing it was a different option. Absolutely. That's a perfect way to put it um, because, it, you know, cutting out your brain, it just feels it feels like some horror film, like doctor's gone wrong, you know. Yeah, like catastrophic. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't feel like you should ever, ever feel like you're, you know, you're not being grateful or appreciative like I – you your situation you definitely shouldn't ever feel like oh well someone has it worse or someone you know your yeah your feelings are so valid and they're so so valid to feel scared and upset and and resistant like 
Yeah. I can't imagine anyone be like, great, this sounds like a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Go for it. Like- <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. Some parents really have jumped at this opportunity to do this. Like I know several parents that have just said, right, absolutely, let's do this. Like we can fix this. Yeah. Let's go. They yeah. were really kind yeah. of do like, something. we can solve this problem. And, you know, for some families that hasn't worked and, you know, my husband says, Erin, we, we, we look at this process really differently um, in mm. that he wants to ensure that we have done every single thing possible to help her, which includes surgery. Yeah. I think one thing that people also don't realise about epilepsy and this type of life it affects so much of your life, marriage, friendships, work, just yourself. It's um, It damages so much. And as we sort of haven't touched on that, like so she obviously she's not in any kind of care, like are you and your hubby it or do you have some kind of care or help or? Um, I am it basically. Um, you know, Dave works long hours to ensure that we've got a roof over our head and Mm -hmm. I'm a full-time carer for Luella so it is really relentless I love her like I love her to death more than anyone on this planet but I do not love her diagnosis and I do Mm -hmm. not love epilepsy I I try to talk about them separately because her condition is separate to her, if that makes sense. So I try to of course, absolutely. separate it. But the epilepsy is relentless. Um, and day to day, I really struggle. It's hard because her epilepsy is changing so frequently that sending her to daycare or somewhere like that, I'm not ready for just yet. I don't really trust anyone um, to look after her like I do and be able to read her like I do. And epilepsy, Mm -hmm. well, this form of epilepsy is really about reading her. You need to be able to know when she is dipping and when she needs a a top-up of medication and things like that. Uh, It's not just kind of a regimented approach with her. You know, she has her regimented meds that don't really work, but – we do need to medicate kind of ad hoc, which, um, you know, doctors guide us on, of course. But uh, mm-hmm. I tried to get her into a daycare, um, just a family daycare, which is, you know, a smaller daycare. They only take about four or five children at one time. And it yeah. just felt yeah. like the perfect fit. The owner of the daycare had a child with special needs as well. She totally understood our um, position and she gave me so much comfort in knowing that there was someone there that was going through a similar experience. But Luella needs one-on-one care 24-7. She cannot be left alone and that would have meant trying to get an extra aid to assist Luella which is something that we're still looking at, but given timing at the moment, it's just all too much. And unfortunately, I had to pull out of that. So she doesn't go to a daycare. Um, and I think that is not really 
it's not beneficial for her to be at home with me all of the time. Not only am I not able to mother her the way I want to, but she's not really learning either. It, she's learning some things, but, you know, I, it's exhausting playing physical therapist, speech therapist, um, oh, you know, imagine. and then all the hats. Yeah, all the parts. And it's not like a typical kid where you can stick a toy in front of them and they just kind of get it mm. after a few goes. It can take months for Luella to understand how to use a toy. Um, and again, that's just really exhausting and it really weighs in quite heavy. So to answer your question, sorry, it's a bit long-winded. We don't have, um, we have some night nursing care for her because she also has seizures through her sleep and she wakes quite frequently. So, um, you know, I can't be up at all hours of the night as well as all day looking after her. It's, it, it just became impossible and we needed more help. Um, so we do have a night nurse occasionally. But other than that, day to day, there's my parents who are absolutely phenomenal and they thankfully live like 100 metres around the corner, uh, which is, you know, so handy. Um, but it's a lot for them too and there's a lot of guilt that comes with, I guess, for me leaving Luella with my parents because, you know, she's my child. She's not their child and it's not their responsibility to look after her. It's mine. And although although they, they help a lot, um, you know, my parents are pushing 70. My dad's hard of hearing. He's got all this hearing loss. My mom's got a heart condition, blah, blah, blah. Like it's they're not as fit and active as they used to be and, um, yeah, it's, I just feel a lot of, um, yeah, guilt leaving her with them when um, I feel like it should be me. I can hear like the, the burden. Yeah, it, it, and you know what? It's People don't like some of my honesty with what we go through, how I guess I just kind of try and be as transparent as I feel at the time. But epilepsy, this this form of epilepsy is a burden. It truly is. There is no joy or gift in watching your child suffer every day. You know, a lot of and maybe maybe I'll get there one day, but I, I I'm just not at that place. And I've tried to share that as genuinely as I can through her Instagram page in order to try and connect in a different way to other parents because, and again, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I kept reading all of these books and speaking to all of these parents who just felt like that their experience with epilepsy was just the most rewarding thing and I just was not feeling that and I still don't. Mm. Mm. And I guess I just kind of got sick and tired of this whole sugarcoating of how devastating infantile spasms truly is and what it takes from you and I have a lot of parents reach out to me from all over the world going through very similar things and they often say to me you know I can totally relate I can I totally feel like this but I just don't know how to say it and you've summarized it really well for me and yeah it's it's 
been hard navigating the disability space because I don't speak on behalf of the disability space. I'm not a disability spokesperson. I'm just sharing our journey, what it's like for me and my feelings. And they change and dip and dive every minute of the day. So it's it's really just my... We're human. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've tried to kind of offer a bit more reality into what it really truly looks like. Oh, and sometimes it's just shit. And that's why I really try and bring as well online that some things are just shit. Like I will never not be furious that we lost our baby ever. Like I don't think I will ever come to a time where I'm like, I'm not furious about it. I'm so pissed off about it. Like it is just shit. Things happen that are shit and it's so okay to be like, you know what, this isn't all roses over here. Like this is bloody hard. This is awful. Yeah. And do you feel like writing and sharing helps you? Like because obviously I can hear how much you absolutely adore her like that just seeps out of every part of you like that's and you know and how much you are you hate (laughs) the fact that she has this epilepsy but um like who's obviously your husband but who's supporting you like you can feel the burden on you and the the way that you're like you know she's my responsibility she's it's it's my my burden to carry for her like you know you're you're her little your legs, your her everything carrying her through. How are you supported? How can you deal with this? Uh, it's a great question I'm yet to really uh, solve. <laughs> um, mm. We need more support. I seek therapy, which, you know, is is good. But, yes, writing and sharing that moment in time is incredibly cathartic for me and it really has helped me mm. turn a corner. I didn't share about Luella's diagnosis for I think it was like seven months and people I think just assumed I'd, I'd gone to ground and was just, you know, in the depths of motherhood whereas, you know, we were battling with a, we're battling with a life-limiting condition for our daughter and yeah as far as i guess emotional or mental support there's a you know a very small group of friends that help um you know Rachel Casella who i know you know has been amazing um and she's been one of the biggest supports mm, for me and Luella and we'd be lost without her same with Kira Rumble and um you know some other friends that have just stayed by our side but unfortunately we've lost a lot of friends through this whole process and that's been devastating Mm. it's you hear it a lot right and experience a lot when when things are hard and I think that like obviously I can't speak on your behalf but it happened with us too with our first and Mm. I think people they don't know what to say and they're really sad and they don't want to put their sadness on you because they know they've got enough and they, they don't know what to say and they're scared of saying the wrong thing, so then they don't say anything. Mm. And then all of a sudden time passes and they're like, how are you? And you're like, yeah, good. Because <laughs> how how do you how do you explain that? Like, you're, yeah, good, thanks. Like, And then all of a sudden you're like, where the hell did everybody go? Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And 
you become so entrenched in what you're going through that you can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel and life just moves on, you know. Mm. People are still having babies, getting married, enjoying life, taking holidays, well, not so much with COVID, but, you know, um, their life just continues on and I feel like we are trapped here. And I think that's the biggest thing about this is the permanence. And my therapist said it to me the other day. She said the hardest thing about this is the permanence of it. And I went, oh, my God, no one said it like that before. And it's so true that, you know, if your child, your typical child falls over and breaks a leg, okay, not ideal. You know, they might struggle with that leg for a little while until they get back on their feet, so to speak. And, you know, there's there's a 98 probably percent chance that they're going to be okay. But there is just no end in sight for us. Even with the surgery, it's not a, a we're going to fix it. It's a we're going to change it and hopefully it's going to be a improvement for her quality of life. Yeah, it's all like hope. We hope this, we hope that. But, yeah, I mm. probably sound really jaded, but hope to me is just wishful thinking and it doesn't feel tangible. So I guess I don't really hold, hold on to hope and that probably doesn't sound great but it's the truth um I think it's totally reasonable and trust in these doctors like you're literally handing over your baby girl like to these doctors oh. like that's the trust in that is huge oh my gosh and I'm not sure I have that level of trust and I'm not sure I ever will you know these doctors so yeah like these doctors do these surgeries often but what if we are in the 40 percent that don't have a successful outcome yeah. What if we're there? What if we're not in the 60% positive outcome? And what does that 40% now look like for us? You know, there's children who are who have had these surgeries and they've done remarkably and I would never take anything away from their families because no matter what, it's such a huge decision and They've obviously made the right ones for their child and, you know, hats off to them and amazing. But no one is looking or looking at or shining a light on or talking about the children where these surgeries don't work. And that really frustrates me because everyone wants to paint this kind of perfect picture over here. Here's the 60% focus over here, over here. But there's you know, almost just as big as big as slice of pie on the other side that it's not successful. Mm. And what that looks like and is then now what? Yeah. Well there is nothing. Like there literally is nothing. There is nothing more that they can do. That's it. And I know several families like that where they trusted in doctors, they did the surgery, they did everything that they were supposed to do. They followed doctors' orders, they listen listened to specialists. They they just did everything they could and the surgery didn't work. And it's such a hard conversation to have with them because I asked them, you know, if you had your time again, would you do the surgery? And their answer is often they hesitate because they don't actually know because they don't know mm. what their child would be like without the surgery but what they also have in front of them is is pretty dire and um 
I just know that if we are in that 40%, I already don't cope very well. Mm. And if we are in that 40%, I just don't know how I would get through it. I, I, I just really, I'm not that strong. I don't have that level of capability. I truly don't. And I know I don't. And, um, you know, people pretty remarkable. Uh, I think you're so hard on yourself. I think looking in, you are one hell of a mother. You are pregnant. You're dealing with all the hormones and things that just, like I was just a bubbling mess in pregnancy at the best of times, <laughs> never mind being faced with the decisions and your exhausting reality. And I think you are absolutely incredible. Thank you. I mean, I think I take my hat off to every mum in general, but especially those mums that are living with children who have yeah. life limiting or, you know, pretty severe disabilities. It's, yeah. it's um, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. You truly wouldn't. No. And if you do have someone like that in your life, reach out and keep talking and keep asking, keep chatting and, and don't don't let it be, I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything or I'm going to just drift away because that's it's really, really Absolutely. sad. Yeah, and I, I've had to be really firm with some people along the way and really call them out on mm-hmm. things and you kind of have to, well, I think, I mean, that's just kind of the way I'm wired. Some people don't and that's okay as well. But, you know, just sending a text message or bumping into someone on the street is not enough. Dropping the occasional lasagna, like, it, it, they're all nice things, but it really doesn't help. I mean, on Friday last week, I Luella um, wasn't having a good day at the time and I was supposed to be getting grocery shopping all of these things that I was supposed to be at, I was supposed to be at an appointment, blah, blah, blah. And I posted about it in stories and a friend saw it and she went to the shops and she bought a bucket load of groceries. She didn't ask me what we needed. She didn't ask me what I liked. She just went, you know what, mm. I think I, they just need X, Y, Z. And, you know, I've obviously, yeah. I haven't yet, but I will pay her back because it's not up to her to pay for this stuff. But the fact that she just did it off her own bat didn't ask and just turned up with it and just said, I know you needed this. That's what people can do. And I know that not everyone is made of money and I know that, you know, with COVID times, you know, not everyone is maybe as flush as they used to be, but it could literally be just bread and milk and maybe once a fortnight you just drop it off at the door. You know, it's really the basics, bread, milk, eggs, just to see us through when yeah. we haven't got a to barbecue the Barbecue chicken, there you go, you're sort barbecue of Barbecue chicken, tonight. great one, yeah. absolutely. And people think they can't do anything or they don't know what to do but random acts of kindness and if you can spare 10, 20 bucks, that's really all it takes. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing for people listening going, tell me how to help. I think that's a really, and I love what you said, like didn't ask, just did it. Like don't give me any more things to think about. Don't ask me to send a list. Don't ask me for permission because I'll say, no, no, I'm okay. You know, just, yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. Well, (laughs) I have been talking to Rachel. Rachel and I um, started talking because of her beautiful mission with Mackenzie. Um, And for those who don't know much about Rach, jump on to my Instagram. There's a live there that we did with her and her husband. Um, And she's just 
an absolute powerhouse, right? Like she's just she truly incredible. is, honestly. And she's been rallying for you guys and she is, you know, doing a GoFundMe. All of these links will be in the show notes, guys. So Erin's Instagram page, the GoFundMe, um, which she, Rachel, talks a little bit about and trying to get some funds which will help with a nurse after um, her surgery to try and, you know, give you a little bit of backup. Um, and yeah, and she's basically been absolutely rallying around you guys and was like, what can we do? So I reached out to Bugaboo and oh, wow. they are donating a donkey pram of your choice. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to send you all the color choices so you can oh buy it God. so you can pick exactly what you like. But we thought that you can have us with the pram and you can have like her seat as well as like the basket next to you. So next to her wow. in case she has anything that needs to go with her, particularly post-surgery. Um, and when Bubby comes along, you can put a bassinet with a seat and whatever needs to happen. So we oh wanted gosh. to at least thank you to Bugaboo. Um, and well, hopefully yes, that's a little that's little thing that will take that off your plate. Oh, my um, gosh. Thank you so much. Yeah, we will. so generous. Thank you very, very much. Oh. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. I really They're beautiful people that. over there at Bugaboo. We're so grateful. Something practical that hopefully, let you know, gives you a little bit extra support, but um, we'll definitely be rallying around you and, Thank Don't you. feel alone because there's there's an army of women here that are ready and and wanting to support you and you thank you're you. very inspiring and very incredible and thank you for sharing her story because I think it so needs to get out there. Yeah, thank you and um, yes, thank you. Uh, I guess I, I just very quickly just want to really acknowledge Rach. Um, you know, she really has been an incredible friend who. We actually didn't know each other um, outside of Instagram. We connected through Instagram and she, her and Luella have a really beautiful connection and Lou really took to her. And, um, you know, we don't have a friendship where, you know, we speak every day and that's absolutely fine because I just wouldn't have that capacity. But um, she is just someone who is relentless in trying to help and I just feel incredibly, incredibly lucky and grateful to have her in my life and um, I really hope she knows how much. And, yeah, just thank you for having me and allowing me to share uh, this about Lou and sorry if I've rambled and gone on on tangents. (laughs) Oh, my God, don't. No, I'm just absolutely in awe of you and I think that you're so strong by being able to tell a story and I know that someone listening is going to take comfort from this or at least feel not alone because, like you said, there are so many people suffering and living life, you know, trying to support their babies with these sorts of conditions. So it's, you know, life-altering conditions like you said and they're definitely not alone and yeah, thank goodness for yep. social thank media, you. right? It really does link us. Oh, I'd be, I would actually be lost without, and I think use the right day can be pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, we'll keep you all in our hearts and pray for the absolute best outcome for your beautiful family. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in today. I would love to continue the conversation with you over on Instagram at The Conscious Project Podcast. Hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to leave me a five-star review. It really does help. Take care.